1: So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz.
1: Welcome back to the show, ridiculous historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Oh, in these divided political times, you have to wonder uh, how difficult it may be to maintain decorum. Let's give a shout out to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, seriously, who? who are you talking about? <laughs> uh, sure. Max Williams from earlier. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, from earlier. <laughs> like uh, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> From, mm-hmm. earlier. from earlier. Uh, you're Noel Brown. I'm Ben Bolin. And today we are, with the help of our returning guest, Alex Serka, we, explo- hey, <laughs> we are exploring, hey. we are exploring a series of times that people in Congress, in the US Congress, in the halls of power. Didn't feel their words were adequate to navigate oh. situations.
3: Yeah, they they uh, in some cases entered into fisticuffs, mm, like mm-hmm. the Fighting Irish. You know, a little <laughs> a little fella. What would he call that pose? Well, yeah, it, it seems very impractical. Impractical, or maybe it's completely practical. It's, it's like one of the fists for blocking,
4: mm-hmm.
1: for the old one two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the know. the hook and the jab.
4: I, I think whoever drew it. Didn't know how to do 3D drawing. <laughs> no, that's an underhanded boxing style. <laughs> oh, it is, style.
1: definitely. No, It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's you day. see
3: it all the time in old movies. Mm-hmm. It's like a very specific old-timey boxing pose, and it requires fancy footwork, too, you know? Mm-hmm. You think these uh, beefing congressmen got into some little tappity dancing when they were fighting each other?
1: Well, <laughs> we're about to see. They certainly were not practicing uh, bipartisanship, right? <laughs> the old can't we all just get along? We can't. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Deborah Caldwell in a uh, great article, 11 Historic Fights Worse Than the Sequester. Uh, Deborah points out Congress has always been a wild and woolly place. Uh, and I think, you know, for a lot of us, you know, the majority of people in the United States are not, in fact, members of Congress. We can't even get elected
4: to the House, <laughs> right? Which is. A- Unless you're a member of the. I think New Hampshire State of House of Representatives, which is like 450 people mm. for New Hampshire. Just mm-hmm. want put that note in here, right here.
1: Mm-hmm. Classic Granite State, Max with the facts.
5: Who's that sneaking in the phone? It's Max! And he's full of knowledge just for you right now. Here he comes. It's Max with the facts!
1: <sighs> We've got several different situations here this is nola a bit of a, a listicle episode would you say uh-huh, yeah, it is indeed.
3: So let's go ahead and jump right in with the uh, 1800 election that nearly led to a civil war. Um, one thing that I think we've all experienced is sort of the rose-colored glasses approach to history uh, that is often the case in, like, early childhood education, middle school even, where it's sort of like, oh, you know, the, all the founding fathers were pals, and they were just hanging out, and, you know, it was just all sunshine and, and roses. Um, and, and
4: getting and, drunk together.
3: And you know, Well, that that, probably well, that part, part was True. true that's why the they didn't that
1: tell That
3: part us. was true. Yeah. You know, despite coming from different backgrounds, different political ideologies and belief systems, they all were able to just get along and chop it up and and, and make nice and and get things done, right? No, not so no. much, right? No, but, they hated you know, that each cartoon other. version though is often the way it's portrayed uh, sure. when you're, you know, just learning about this stuff.
1: Just like the first Thanksgiving, right? There's a bit of myth-making afoot because we know uh that these guys often did not get along, put diplomatically. Uh, I, I also will find it unendingly hilarious how back in the day, if you ran for president and you won, then your vice president would be the guy who ran against you. Uh, it's a very weird, weird way to set up a crew. Uh, but as you were saying, well, this, this stuff comes to a head. There are legendary disagreements between founding fathers and two of the guys who beefed the hardest, uh, really got beefed up. They were beefing. Uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. And it goes to exactly like our uh, culminating moment here is the election of 1800. We can go to Encyclopedia, Virginia for a, uh, (laughs) for a, dare I say, blow by blow.
3: Oh, you dare. Uh, And I will back you up on this. So the Democratic Republicans uh, had won the election. Again, I always get a little flummoxed when it comes to like early versions of Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. In this case, it was the Democratic Republicans, which seems like some sort of weird kaiju hybrid uh, of of political leanings. But they had, in fact, uh, cinched the election. But unfortunately, it wasn't clear who was actually going to be the president. This was something that was totally TBD. Uh, And in 1800, this constitution that we've heard so much about um, did have a stipulation that each elector be awarded two votes and that whichever candidate got the majority of votes would be president. Um, While the second place, the runner up, the also ran uh, would be vice president. Great idea. Again,
1: he says, with sarcasm.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So these electoral votes, this is this is basically the founding of the Electoral College, right? This
4: is it's totally. This is like the second time and the first yeah. time was very flawed. The first two elections weren't really elections. Well, I, I'm just saying just kind of what we
3: know you. is the Electoral College today is a little mm. different than this, but this is sort of the like bones of it. In, this,
1: in is, of uh, this is this is. Yeah, you're right. We could call this uh, a precedent of sorts. I would argue it is a precedent uh, (laughs) indicative of the deep structural problems with the electoral college in general. Uh, Jefferson is hanging out after these electoral votes are counted. And all those Democrat-Republican folks who, again, as you pointed out, are the same party at this point, they wanted Jefferson to be president. They were like, this is the guy. We picked him. Jefferson has 73 electoral votes, but plot twist, Shyamalan, so does Aaron <laughs> Burr. And that's the one all these guys have picked to be vice president. Uh, <laughs> they were uh, they were worried about Taking off Burr, he's kind of a hothead. Uh, He does shoot people in duels, uh, and this is way before the musical made him catchy to the American public. We've talked in the past about his troubled career, and the Democratic-Republicans kind of messed up their ground game, their electoral game. They were supposed to arrange for at least one of their people not to vote for Burr. So they could say without pissing Burr off, ah, good hustle, bud. Your vice president, uh, Jefferson, just has more votes. That's a little greasy, isn't it? That's super greasy. I mean, that's politics. Ah, it really is. Yeah, and again, a system that is— Relatively
3: easily gamed when you have these sort of cahoots. I guess is that a thing in mm-hmm. cahoots? I'm just going to call it cahoots. That's a fun word. To yeah, say. you can. Is that a game? I think there's a board game called cahoots. There's you know, a board right? game called uh, Alex is agreeing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Got a good. We got a solid nod from uh, from Circus. Very uh, fun. I'm, yeah, oh, I'm sure. I, I definitely remember playing it at least once. I'm the kind of guy, by the way, as an aside, that buys. Board games and never place them. <laughs> I have a giant mm-hmm. chest of board games that uh, I've never been opened because I, I get one that I think is super nerdy and fun. I'm like, this is confusing. I can't figure out how to play. It's gotta have my, me a murder these. on I
4: love you know, haunted hill or whatever. Sure, I'll come I'll over, watch, I'll read all movie. the rules, and I, I, mean, so, I will strictly and meanly tell everyone the rules. You're a game I will, I, we need I, I will play like
1: Blockus that. with you guys for money.
4: I'm Blockus is good.
3: awesome, but I lost a couple of the pieces, and now oh, my set is yeah, useless.
1: Well, I've got one. Uh, I'll just so get, so get it again. That's a game that's so fun, it's,
3: it's not that big a deal to have to buy it a few times. But Cahoots aside, that, like you said, this doesn't really pan out the way that they uh, anticipated.
1: No, no, you know, because these guys are going head to head against a group called the Federalists, which you might remember from their famous papers. They were named very creatively. So the Federalist Party saw this as an opportunity to block us, Jefferson, out of the presidency. And, uh, and they really did not want Jefferson to be president. So they said, look, we'll do Whatever, you know, uh, there is no expense that we are scared of here. Yet again, that old document, the Constitution, had some rules, had some Mm -hmm. board game rules for the future of America. And this Little piece of paper specified that a tie has to be resolved by a specific group, the House of Representatives, voting by state. And the Federalists love this because they control several delegations in the House of Reps. Yeah, tiebreaker rule. Pretty common in most board games
3: and politics. So – that being the case, Ben, with the Federalists uh, controlling some of these key House delegations, um, they were able to block the election of Jefferson for 35 of these roll call votes um, over the course of six days. And if you can imagine, mm-hmm. this is almost like filibuster level
1: obstructionism, right? Well, Dungeons and Dragons would call their alignment lawful evil right. at this time because they're weaponizing parliamentary proceedings. That's right.
4: Exactly. I mean. How many votes did it take McCarthy to get in there? Because that's a good comp is like how many took McCarthy. I think, I think that was like 16. So we think about like more than twice as many votes.
1: So they're saying uh, <laughs> the Federalists, are, uh, they go to Aaron Burr. Picture a smoky back room, and, yeah, 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 and uh, <laughs> we could get a sound effect, whatever the Illuminati version is. There, there we go, smoky
3: sound effect. Doesn't it really make smoke.
1: smoke I guess is sort of inherently sound. Well, let's play it now. It's, yeah, yeah. Let's trigger some hot jazz synesthesia. Yeah, <laughs> kind of a uh, speakeasy type vibe. Far before the invention of speakeasies and jazz, you, you nailed it though. <laughs> yeah. So we're going for the vibe, folks, and thank that. you for having our backs. Uh, these guys go to burn in this back room, and they say, look, we'll help you quid pro quo if you will do a couple things for us, you know, scratch some backs.
2: We'll scratch yours.
1: You don't like Jefferson either. No. And uh, and, sucks. and outside this room, by the way, uh, there's the other political party of the time, the Democratic Republicans. Yeah. And they're going bang, bang, bang on the door. They're cop knocking on the door. And they're like, you guys are stealing the election. And, you know, that's super mids of you. Yeah. Wow.
3: This is way before the invention of the term
1: mids, by the way. Yes. We're, just, we're in it for style, poetic license.
4: <laughs> I don't know. We're talking about Jefferson here. Are we sure it's before the invention of the term mids? Uh, well, the concept, the, term the, mids? the concept of
3: mids is is eternal, but uh, I don't think that that you term guys really are rising so fashion. hard
4: right now. Shout
1: out uh, to Oxford's a word uh, of the year. Word of the year. I only just found out that it's short
3: for charisma. It I, is. I, didn't, I did not it know is. that. It yeah. is. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Charisma.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, to quote uh, Matt Barry. Spelled differently, right? Uh, R-I-Z-Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to make an enemy of big O-E-D. Oxford yeah. English Dictionary. Apparently the, the kids guys. also refer to people that have a lot of riz as being Rizzlers,
3: like uh, the Rizzler, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a Batman villain of of style.
1: Shout out to Rizz. That's his superpower. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> right. Really fetching, you know? So these rumors start flying around. With, again, this sort of rarefied air of people who run the United States. And folks are talking. The streets are talking. And the streets are saying, these Federalists are going to put a member of their own party into the presidency. They're going to do a little finger move, right? Chaos is a ladder, et cetera, et cetera, from Song of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones. And so Jefferson tells Adams— any attempt to defeat the presidential election will be met with quote resistance by force and incalculable consequences Wow them's fighting words it's definitely a threat it's it's a weird
3: one so the Democratic Republican governors uh, are in, are absolutely livid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it starts to become pretty clear that they are going to g- gather up their their forces uh, in the form of militias, which is important because there wasn't really uh, an official actual facts, you know, government funded mandated army. Right. There was just a, a series of these loose kind of collections of, of forces.
1: Well, they're coming off of a revolution which taught them to distrust large armies from, say, the British Empire, etc. So the governors in this time are in the the late 18th century, early 19th century, they're kind of suzerains, right? They have uh, these fiefdoms that they're running. And so they gather up their gangs and they say, look – if the Federalists steal this election from Jefferson, whom we have all chosen to be the president, uh, that we're going to roll on you, you know, if you want the smoke. And there's a letter from March 21st, 1801, that is a great example of this from Pennsylvania. It is where you start seeing terms like usurping or
3: usurpation, which is also a very song of ice and fire term. Usurper. Mm. I called you a usurper. But really quickly, you guys, um, was is what they were doing illegal, or was it just no. kind of in bad taste? You know what I mean. It was just sort of a dick move in was terms of fixing the point? election. No, fair enough. The, the law is, is sort of being written uh, as as they go. But question I mean, no, like the, in
1: terms of fixing the election, or right. yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. of raising yeah. a militia.
3: No, in terms of fixing the election, like did they? Is, 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 the, the idea of them stealing it seems more of a an alarmist kind of propagandistic way of, of talking trash about your your rivals and also
4: no because like it was just a flawed system that's what I first. mean but they agreed on the system
1: <laughs> you know it just happened to not work in their favor this time also, let's point out that this is like um, – this is an example of no otter among thieves, right? Because sure. they've already kind of determined who the president will be, and they did not ask the entirety of the American public. At this point, they also did not consider a lot of people living In North America, or the United States, to be people, so (laughs) they're building—they're building atop a flawed Jenga tower already. And I'm with you on usurpation, usurp, and so on. Governor Thomas McKean, Pennsylvania, classic guy. You know him. You know him. He—he said, "Look, I'm going to take the Pennsylvania militia, the Penny Boys." and we are going to arrest anybody anti jefferson and we're going to charge them with treason and then there's a, another letter from virginia it's
3: very british of them don't you think this behavior feels very kind of british crown moves
4: only if they are going to threaten people with being drawn and quartered all
1: they yeah, knew, but all they, they knew around was
4: treason and this witch hunt kind of atmosphere exactly i, I completely agree
1: all they knew was uh in terms of governance, all they knew was systems like monarchies, aristocracies, and uh, the French Revolution, right? And then their own revolutions. So they were kind of, just to be honest, they were improvising, they were improvising, and, uh, and they weren't sure what to do in the long term, but they were sure what they didn't want to happen. And some of these folks want Aaron Burr, some of these folks want Jefferson. They've got this back and forth of correspondence we're We're not talking about when we say militia, by the way, we're not talking about getting a posse together. It's not like Alex, Max, Noel, and yours truly saying, "Oh, we're gonna January sixth up to Washington on this Jefferson thing. We're talking about Pennsylvania having twenty two thousand dudes ready. To go beef, and then we're talking about uh, we're talking about sixty thousand trained militia from Massachusetts who are gonna. Who, those guys were veterans. They would absolutely demolish that outnumbered mob from Pennsylvania. And these folks are, these are farmers. It's like a swords to plowshare situation. The folks from Pennsylvania and Virginia, they are literally practicing military maneuvers and drills with corn stalks so uh (laughs) this is where we go to one of noel's favorite musicals alexander hamilton
3: yeah or hamilton for sure it's not, you know, I,
1: I I get it. It's good. I just I just didn't finish it.
3: It doesn't mean that I didn't like it. I, I liked what I saw, but I just I, uh, I got distracted. I'm gonna have to go back to it. Um, now now that it's not you know the hottest ticket in town anymore, maybe like maybe I can actually the hype see ruins it. Things. You know, on stage. That is part of it too. Yeah, the hype. I think I'm separated enough from the hype now that if I went and saw it in a theater, like a proper show, I think that's the way to experience something like that. hype.
4: But ruins Speaking things. about hype, yeah. Are you guys excited for the thing that we're all hyped about in April that we were talking about on the side?
1: Sure. Yeah. Death cap for QD and Postal service. service. Oh, yeah. 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 OK. My
4: second time going. Mm-hmm. We're all been buying tickets on.
1: Speaking of hype ruining things, let me show to you Exhibit A, folks. Uh, this is a paper straw. Oh, no hype Here's the problem with suck. paper straws. They're terrible. Look at that. Look Gotta at go this rubber. Look at Gotta this. go
4: rubber, man. So about metal, Al? you got it. Well, you there's don't like metal.
1: No, no, I can't. Metal I straws can't. are weird. Well, I've got oh, a Alex, Alex Alex so in is. All right. little
5: ASMR. I like
1: <laughs> hey, and a Bucky's mug. <laughs> Thank you for the ASMR. So um, sponsor me. So we do owe a debt of gratitude to the founding fathers. And we want to let you know, like, there's so many of us listening right now are going, get to the fight, get to the fight. Alexander Hamilton comes in, and it's so hard to say that without singing it. He weighs in on Jefferson's behalf, and uh, he says, look, my brother in Christ, I get it. Jefferson is a contemptible hypocrite. That last part's a quote, but we cannot adopt a violent system that undermines this American government And Aaron Burr, because Hamilton always had to slide in a neg on Aaron Burr. They were very insecure. And uh, he says, look, Burr also has extreme and irregular ambition. He's got no principle, public or private, which was a real like, these guys would have been savages on Twitter. (laughs) And uh, Hamilton says, look, the Federalists are playing a foolish game. You kind of have to give Jefferson the presidency because we all agreed on it and to do otherwise now is anathema to what we proposed this government should uh, function as.
3: So eventually, uh, one of the fellas that uh, Hamilton wrote to, one James A. Bayard, uh, told his colleagues that he would withdraw support from Burr um, and throw his support behind Jefferson, allowing him to win. Uh, In order to prevent this... Again, this, like, a uh, civil war, you know, it's essentially what we would be looking at. Um, and no Federalists, uh, at the end of the day, voted for Jefferson. Several, however, uh, Federalist members of the House of Representatives, they um, positioned their state delegates uh, to support Jefferson. And on February the 17th of 1801, on the 36th uh, attempt at this vote, Jefferson won by a 10 to 4. Uh, margin, margin uh, two states uh, abstaining and bayard uh later claimed that jefferson um had promised to maintain uh, a particular flavor of government, um, specifically referring to the monetary system, the fiscal system, uh, and also to maintain, which is, this is probably a term that you remember hearing when you're of the Constitution, a strong Navy, uh, and not to uh, can any of the Federalists um, who you know, had potentially made themselves target for that kind of retribution. He, um, said, but he, he said he wouldn't. He said. Yeah, he said. Right. Exactly. He said a lot no, of no, it. No honor among thieves to your previous uh, point. But uh, Jefferson, he claimed till the bitter end that no such deal had ever existed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Federalist. Who were those guys? Uh, Anyway, it's March 4th, says Jefferson, 1801. I am now the third president of the United States, a war that didn't quite happen. Now, we know that a lot of us are listening today and saying, all right, so your first example is the time there was almost a fight. But what about, you know, what about (laughs) some street-level fisticuffs? You know, what about some varmints, varminting out in the halls of power? This is uh, our next example, right before the Civil War. One of the big issues in American discourse is the concept of slavery, the idea that you could somehow rationalize removing all the rights of a human being by saying that they are somehow not human and instead that they are property, and one side of the argument said, look— this is part of American law, and the other side, which won, by the way, spoilers. Thankfully, the other side said slavery is super, fucking gross, and we it's it needs to be outlawed. Thanks for the beat, Max. Uh, and obviously, none, no one here, and hopefully, no one listening is going to argue otherwise. But at this time, we have to introduce a heel, as wrestling would call him, a pill, a real, uh, a re- you know what? He's a real dish, a cold, rubbery eggs, John C. Calhoun. I think John C. Calhoun is the namesake of a
3: very short, unimpressive expressway in my hometown of Augusta, Georgia. How, long is, it? How long is it?
4: He's from I South know. Carolina, so... Yeah. Okay. There you go.
3: Yeah. It's it's just like the the road that you take to get from like one side of town to downtown. So I would say no longer than maybe two miles, three three miles. (laughs) It's the John C. Calhoun Expressway. It's (laughs) Calhoun is one
4: of these guys that for like a large swath of this part of history is just always present. Like him and Henry Clay are always present, and oddly enough, John Quincy Adams is always around too. He did a lot after being president. He was around for a while after being president.
1: We need to talk about Millard Fillmore, vice president two days after uh, infamous Cold Eggs and later Expressway namesake John C. Calhoun dies on March 31st, 1850. There's this guy. His name's Millard. He's vice president. He also kind of stinks. And he does the funeral for, thank you for the thumbs down, Max, I agree with you. He does the funeral for Calhoun in the chambers of the Senate, and everybody is kind of on edge, right? What's going to happen? The leader is dead. This guy who is ostensibly in charge now, his name's Millard. Are you kidding me? And so amid this chaos, Vice President Fillmore addresses the Senate. He does a live show, and he says, Look, when I first became the presiding officer of the Senate last year, I didn't think I would have to maintain order in a group of adults. He looked around and he was like, guys, you're supposed to be ups. You're supposed to be courteous to each other. You're supposed to be collegiate. You know, order must prevail. Well,
3: it's one of these things where, like, you know, with the with, uh, recent presidential uh, situations, let's just say in this country, where, uh, you know, th- it's easy to take for granted how much just tr- decorum and tradition is literally all that's holding the whole thing together. And when people decide to ass out and just totally ignore that stuff, mm-hmm. there's not much you could do
1: about it. It's so weird, man. I remember uh, several years back, someone got trapped up in parliamentary procedure. And they, they stood up and they were like, the, the, the honorable member of so-and-so apologizes for offending the honor of the gentleman from so-and-so. And I thought, you guys hate each other. Yeah. It's pretty obvious. No, no question. <laughs> but like, can you imagine uh, being in a situation where someone says, you have offended my honor, and then there's a vote? And then the other person has to stand up and and be like, I apologize for offending your honor. Well, even just the
3: idea of getting censured, you know what I mean? It's sort of like a a public pillorying, you know, or Mm. a slap on the wrist. It's basically
1: officially embarrassing you in front of your friends. Mm. So (laughs) so in its earliest years, the U.S. Senate had given the presiding officer a superpower – if you are in charge of the Senate, you can call these other senators out. You can be like, mm-mm, that's a no-no. That is inappropriate language or behavior. And the full Senate didn't have to vote. There was just this one guy who was like, mm, your vibe's off. And uh, because of John C. Calhoun, this practice changes in 1828.
4: You have to say my line.
1: All right. Well, Max, uh, how would you describe John C. Calhoun?
4: Uh, Real-life Emperor Palpatine. (laughs) And side note, if you guys want to get a laugh, every single time Calhoun is mentioned in this brief, Mm -hmm. there's a different photo of him, and they all have a theme. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
3: is, he, is he wearing an ominous hood and cloak he
4: just looks like the most evil dude in every photo and every painting of this man i guess there's no photos of him but every painting of this man he looks like the most evil dude ever he looks fingers, like he's such yeah these he, are he was like so racist and Whoa, so yeah, yeah. Like,
1: he looks like he doesn't blink he looks like he's always mad at someone to the left or the right of the portrait I bet he used to beat people with sticks. I'm this is the
4: guy who was so mean, so racist, and so crazy that Andrew Jackson was freaked out by this dude. Mm-hmm. He kind of has
3: a Bizarro Andrew Jackson look about him. He
4: was he was Jackson's first VP and then quit and formed his own party to oppose mm-hmm. Jackson. He for, he's mm-hmm. one of the guys who started the Whig Party.
1: I always think when I see these portraits of guys who are not looking directly. At the um, at the audience, I always think maybe they have wonky eyes. Like uh, Calhoun looks like he might have he might have some uh, walleye eye. on. and maybe. honestly, in this painting that I'm looking at, he basically is wearing a spooky cloak. Yeah, well, it was a different time. Yeah, know. for sure, <laughs> they didn't have central heating. But the uh, so because of Calhoun, who was uh, a little bit too active. For the rest of the Senate, because of him, the Senate changed this rule and they said, look, everybody should be able to call someone out if they are behaving offensively. And I think we can all agree that kind of accountability is key. If the Senate objected to the vice president's ruling. On a certain call, right, if he was being too tyrannical or so on, then they could vote and they could overrule him and they could say, actually, the guy you're mad at isn't being a dick. He raised a really good point. You're outvoted. Let's move on to other business. Order will prevail. Um, Vice President Fillmore didn't quite vibe with this. Uh, In 1850, he says, look. A lot of our fellow senators, a lot of these honorable gentlemen, seem reluctant to hold each other to order. So what I'm going to do is quell this. I'm going to contain the first sparks of disorder before they blossom into a fire. Right? And so, <laughs> so he said the the following quote, which seems a little hardcore. I'm interested. I'm interested in your thoughts here. A
3: slight attack, or even insinuation of a personal character, often provokes a more severe retort. Which retort? Sorry, I'm gonna make sure that was clear. Which brings out a more disorderly reply. Each senator feeling a justification in the previous aggression. Okay, this is an unpacker, guys. A slight attack or Mm. even insinuation, okay, of a personal character. So don't talk trash. If you do, it may provoke a serious reaction. Someone's going to come at you. Right, uh, which it's may bring feedback. out an even more disorder. So it's a chain reaction, which may right. even bring out a more disorderly reply. Uh, each senator feeling justification in the previous. So this is basically a chain of aggression.
1: That's what you're saying. Chain, chain, chain. So the idea is that the the idea is that there would be this sort of arms race for lack of a better word, of insults leading to uh, chaos in the Senate, which could very well lead to instability in the nation. The question is, what is insinuation, right? So-and-so said such and such, and I took that personally. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out, old old Millie's—shout out to hip-hop fans in the audience— old Millie's was correct two weeks after he makes this statement— the things he predicted happened. He said uh, to a Missouri Senator, Thomas Hart Benton, he said, you're out of order. And then a guy from Kentucky named Henry Clay, you may recognize from earlier stories, he says, the vice president is out of pocket. He's making an attack on the power and dignity of this noble institution, the Senate. And then everybody else is like,
3: rabble, 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 rabble,
5: rabble, rabble, rabble.
3: So in this ensuing debate, uh, there is quite a nasty exchange that takes place between Benton and Henry Foot. Foot, Foot. I'm going to go with Foot because it just sounds good. I both of Yeah, oh, whatever. Um, Benton, who's a bit of a bullish fellow, uh, likes to throw his weight around, literally and figuratively. Uh, he pushes aside his chair and begins to approach. Mr. Fooch, who, if the name is any in indication, is a bit of a slight fellow. Uh, at this point, at this, uh, you know, the, the, the sight of this, you know, steam locomotive of a man coming at him, uh, full bore, Fooch decides uh, he needs to defend himself with not his brawn, but with, you know, this uh, concealed pistol that he's got on. He's
1: it. strapped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is strapped Uh we He's can't get him, a biscuit. Right, as the, as we, right. There it is. We can't get away with uh late books at the library. Uh but this guy's rolling up into the Senate uh with a they fire. They didn't have off. metal detectors back they then. Did not. And uh and so everybody's losing their mind and old uh old steam truck Benton is bellowing. I have no pistols. Let them fire. Stand yeah. out of the way and let the assassin fire. Oh, yeah. Cuz steamboat
3: willie no doubt uh <laughs> that's amazing so these boy he this guy is 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 a is he's got uh
0: you know what are
3: you I'm doing the hand thing you guys the hutzpah. I mean. he's got the chutzpah. he's got the cajones uh and he is not he will not be stopped he continues on towards him uh and then at this point i guess this is, this is enough part. for yeah. the for the presiding officer
1: fillmore to to adjourn <laughs> It's like, okay, I love how Max puts it to uh, quickly entertain emotions to a turn. So, like, this one guy's this huge dude's running at this other guy's like, shoot me, then shoot me, do it. And and this guy is, I gotta
4: burst a little bit of a bubble, make it even funnier. I didn't put that the U.S. Senate put that.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's even better. Oh, my gosh. We paid for that beautiful line. Taxpayers Uh, quickly entertained a motion to adjourn, which literally means uh, while this chaos was happening, uh, Vice President Millard Fillmore was like, hey, should we get lunch? Are we done? Clap, 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 clap with a gavel and everybody else who wasn't, you know, shooting or being shot at was like, yeah, things took a turn. <laughs> and, uh, that <laughs> and
4: that man became president
1: and that man became president. noel there is another example we have. And I love the way you set this up earlier. You talked about beating people with sticks. Oh, yeah, I, I just, you know, thought that Calhoun had that look about him. Something you know? in the eyes, right? Yeah,
3: in the eyes, a bit of a wildness. And also that cloak, man, like Harlem Globetrotter style, you could probably conceal quite a large stick in there that he would just carry around. a uh, Sort of
1: a, a shillelagh of sorts, you know? Oh, there we go. Nice reference, yeah. And uh, so probably the one of the most infamous Physical altercations in U.S. congressional history occurs on May twenty second, eighteen fifty six.
3: Yeah, and as it turns out, there's an official name for beating someone with sticks. Uh, it is often referred to as caning, Shout and it is a it brutal work. and barbaric practice. Uh, of course, a holdover from slave times as well. Like, I mean, people were beaten on their backs until they were had bloody stripes and stuff like that. I believe it's a it's a tactic that still happens in some countries, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Singapore, Singapore, multiple,
1: actually multiple other countries. And when you specifically beat people on the soles of their feet such that they cannot walk or run away, that torture is bastinado. None of these are allowed technically in political discourse in the halls of Congress. Uh, The U.S. doesn't uh, cane people. But it turns out some of the kingmakers of the U.S. government did get into a cane altercation. This would be, I believe, aggravated assault technically because mm-hmm. there was a use of a weapon. Yeah,
3: that's right. Um, in the, the the halls of of, uh, of governments, no less. Uh, the. I guess the what led to this beef, the the thing, the inciting event, uh, occurred three days prior uh, when Senator by the name of Charles Sumner from Massachusetts, who uh, was an anti-slavery Republican, whoop, whoop. Uh, yeah, exactly, um, addressed the the Senate, spoke to the Senate um, on the issue of whether Kansas should be allowed to enter the Union as a slave state or as a free state. Man, can you believe this was stuff that had to be discussed? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I I know it's 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 just bonkers to me sometimes how relatively recent some of these barbaric parts of history, mm-hmm. you know?
4: Right? Were I mean, to, they to had to with do this wild dance anytime they wanted to add a state mm-hmm. in because they had to have just as many slave states as free states so
1: three-fifths compromise etc <sighs> it was really yeah. nasty stuff and, and uh, to your
4: point it's right there in history it's not mm-hmm. that long ago No,
1: history yeah. is always closer than it looks in the rearview mirror
4: i mean think about it there is a living man mm-hmm. whose yep. father mm-hmm. was born around then as we learned in the John Tyler episode. And there are yeah.
1: people listening today who were alive during state-supported segregation, right? Uh, this is the this stuff matters. So as you were saying, Noel, well, this guy, Sumner, he makes a speech. It's called or it's titled Crime Against Kansas. And in his speech, Sumner name checks two Democratic senators. Calls them out. Puts them on blast. Yeah, he calls for them. Uh, He sends for them, you would say, (laughs) in UK hip-hop. They're Stephen Douglas of Illinois and Andrew Butler of South Carolina. And while these guys are in the room, Sumner... Is talking trash, it's and it's not, trash like friendly, talk it's not like a friendly. It's not like a Friars Club roast, or if it is like a Friars Club roast, it's like the Chevy Chase roast, where you can tell no one likes him. No one likes it. Yeah, <laughs> right. to this day, I don't think he's a very popular guy.
3: But can I? Can I say this trash talk? or At
1: least, oh please, my God, please, are, you got to do are it. What, what does he say to Douglas?
3: Serious disses, man. Holy cow, I mean, these are like beast level uh, cut downs. He calls him a noisome squat and nameless animal not a proper model for an american senator and people are people are noisome
1: like, yeah people are like <laughs> oh crazy. snap and then he um, has this moment in his speech where he's like yeah. and i'm not done the i do not yield my time andrew wild. butler south carolina <laughs> you, oh my gosh he says uh he says you have taken a mistress who, what? though ugly to others, is always lovely to him. Though polluted in the sight of the world, is chaste in his sight. I mean, the harlot, slavery.
3: Oh snap! Okay, I thought he was really like putting his, airing his dirty laundry. You know, he worked but on it though. He, he worked he got on got there too. Yeah.
4: That's what Hamilton did. Yeah. Hamilton one time took an article out. He mm-hmm. was like, "These ten sex workers that I talked to, they all say that Aaron Burr is, you know, their favorite client."
1: Yeah, sure. Hamilton, the uh, creator of the listicle, I believe. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, oh, man, the
4: harlot slavery. That's
3: that's good. Although I will say not very sex positive, a little bit misogynistic, but it kind
1: of works well, for the time. Well, they were, uh, you know, they were all gas, no brakes. And they were all still, of course, very prejudiced. Uh, there's another guy in the crowd. You know, that's why you have to be careful with uh, roast and stand-up comedy. There's a guy named Preston Brooks. He's important to this story because he is boys with Butler. He's from South Carolina as well, and uh, if he if he did things the quote unquote right way for the time, he would have challenged Sumner to a duel, and they would have met with you know pistols or rapiers at dawn or something like that. Instead, he picked up the kind of cane that people like him used to beat dogs and also probably other people. So he waits until Senate has wrapped for the day, (laughs) wrapped for the day, uh, and he walks into the chamber and he finds Sumner.
2: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. Listen to Season 2 of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's outspoken network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. Woo!
5: How this beguiling woman in her fifties She looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications
2: She had a Harvard plaque
1: Picture it like walking into a lecture hall after class, and Sumner is, <laughs> Sumner is putting his stamp on various copies of sure. his speech where he dissed these guys, and then Brooks catching him unaware slams his cane onto Sumner's head. He doesn't even <laughs> waste on like nothing no, cinematic I, like hitting a hand or something like you're explosive. not going to stamp that one. Yeah,
3: have you guys seen uh, most or any of the Sopranos? Mm-hmm. Yeah. there's a, a really incredible scene where Tony, um, he's got this, like, I think he's a lawyer or, no, he's a politician, actually. And he finds out that he's sleeping with Tony's ex-Gumar Ooh, or whatever. I remember, yeah. And he just walks into the dude's house while he's in his underwear and just takes his belt off and just starts, like, slamming him, you know, yeah. while the guy's, like, like whimpering this. in a corner. That is how I picture this going. That is an excellent
1: scene, by it's, the way. It's, it's wallop after wallop. Scene. Headshots. Yeah. Yeah. And Brooks is like, BAM, South Carolina. Bam, I'm a jerk. Bam, bam, bam. And Sumner is recovering from this head wound and he's running about trying to protect himself. It's not funny. It's horrific, really. It it doesn't, it does, these kinds of, if you've ever been in a fight like this, you know they typically don't last very long. This guy's bleeding. He's likely concussed. Uh, Head wounds are just super gushers. He has to be carried away. He can't walk on his own power. And Brooks, when he's done with this, he walks calmly out of the chamber it's like if uh since we're doing anachronistic music probably in his head there's something like easy like a sunday morning play like that yeah, yeah. he's like and a music
3: and it's interesting because both of these guys to their respective cronies kind of become like the symbolic kind of heroes. So weird! Oh my god! It's super weird. And uh, I believe doesn't the uh, the the dispenser of the beating uh, resign and pretty quickly? Gets re-
1: yeah. And what happens next? He gets reelected. Hmm. Hmm. Uh
3: but then he dies <laughs> at the age age of thirty yeah at the age of thirty seven so
1: it 's not all bad <laughs> and that 's um, what he 's most famous for yeah. and uh Sumner does live. Sumner takes some time recovering he eventually returns to the Senate and he serves there for another eighteen years this Turns out to be somewhat prescient, somewhat of an omen for the future of the United States, which is hurtling headlong toward an actual civil war. Yeah. Oh, it was bound to happen
3: sooner or later. Um, I think we've got one more really juicy one uh, involving fisticuffs to take us home with.
1: Yeah. Let's take the it home. Best one.
4: Okay. It's the best one.
1: We saved it. So the most infamous. Floor brawl in the history of the U.S. House of Representatives. This is, by the way, from the U.S. House of Reps website. Uh, this thing happened when members of the House debated the Kansas Territory's pro-slavery constitution late into the night of February fifth through sixth, eighteen fifty-eight, and right, right before two a.m. A Pennsylvania Republican named Galusha Grow. Yeah. Real name Galusha Grow, your big galoot. <laughs> <Chef>. <laughs> right there, perfect. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, gets into a tangle with a Democrat from South Carolina named Lawrence Kiet.
3: Well, it's interesting too because, like, several of these stories, or at least this one and the last one, really show you the tension that was building around. You know, slavery and and the issue, the political divide that was coming uh, very, very clear and uh, was going to just come to a boiling point. And I think that's largely why he gets so many of these like actual brawls taking place during this this time period. Really, really sensitive. You know, a little spark could just set off a whole forest fire. And that's exactly what happens here. Uh, On February 6th, 1858, uh, in an odd precursor to the Civil War, writes Will Fermia for MSNBC. The House of Representatives dissolved into a bench-clearing brawl. Mm -hmm. Is that like where? So I guess a bench-clearing brawl is in a sport where like all your buddies come to your aid because Mm -hmm. like you're you're getting your ass kicked out on the basketball court. The whole I almost said basketball field because I'm totally a sportsman.
4: It's it's very common in baseball. So Mm -hmm. when fights break out in baseball, it's that the bench will come out. But when it gets really serious, people from the bullpen, which is out in the outfield, will run in and get in the fight as well. Got it. Shout out
1: Philadelphia.
4: It, exactly yeah, they're <laughs> the only ones actually terms. ever really throw throw punches <laughs> yeah famous
1: famously chill city
4: side note i'm writing an, ep- an episode and you guys don't even know about this one yet where i uh it talks about how pennsylvania is just extra i've
1: got this discontinued soda stuff too i know all of us are excited about that
4: That's oh you're doing that one pop. cool yeah no
1: yeah i'm so i'm gonna do
3: like... karaoke yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. that one too It was reported at the time by the Congressional Globe uh, that in an instant, the House was in the greatest possible confusion with more than 30 of its members uh, joining in to this brawl. You know, like literally picture the cartoon fight with the giant cloud of dust and like people are Mm -hmm. jumping in and coming out, crawling out, being dragged back in, you know
1: hmm yeah. It, Giant it, onomatopoeia texts on screen, you know. Raining cats and dogs of uh, punches, fisticuffs, uppercuts, you know, hooks and jabs, karate chops, probably, you know, maybe a couple roundhouses. I like the idea of one dude launching himself and doing that full like two person or two foot kick, you know, Uh, or why not a Liu Kang bicycle kick at this point? It's close linings, right? You know, inventing moves that the WWE will make billions off of in the future. Northern Republicans of the leg, Northern Republicans and free soilers. Team up against Southern Democrats. And I got to tell you, there are probably a lot of grudges getting settled here. There are probably a lot of sneak shots at people who didn't like each other from the jump. And uh, some of those examples are lost to history, but it was absolutely a brawl. The speaker, a South Carolina Democrat named James Orr, was just uselessly hitting the gavel. It was like order, order, order. Order. order, No, order's Order's not on the menu today, buddy. They weren't listening because they were busy beating the snot out of each other. So eventually he leans to the sergeant at arms, a guy named Adam J. Glossbrenner, and he says, you know, look, if people aren't listening, arrest them. Get yeah. him out of
3: here. Have, have you guys ever been to, like, a, I guess, for lack of a better term, minor league wrestling event? Yes. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, you know, a lot of times there are some very interesting and problematic political sure, kind sure. of like they'll be like the lucha libre guy uh-huh. fighting like a, a Mr. America, you know, and it's clearly a kind of creepy commentary on, you know, border protection. I picture this, this whole scenario should be made into a wrestling event with all of these, you know, government reps just having at each other, you know, mm. pulling off their powdered
1: wigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, each yeah. Other with I, I, I don't
5: think, know if they wore powdered wigs, but I'm just, you know, it's a good Well, a good if image. they
1: were fancy, they wore powdered wigs. Otherwise, everyone would know they had lice. Please check out the very first episode of our show, Why Do British Lawyers Wear Those Wigs? They're mm-hmm. called Perukes. Uh, so, uh, so okay. If you are James Orr at this point, then you're doing the right thing. You have followed your order of operate. <laughs> Order of operations. Uh, And if you are Adam Glossbretter, now the onus is on you. Now the ball is in your court. What are you going to do? He's got the uh, house mace, which you guys know about. It's symbolic. It's kind of ridiculous. It's a fancier cane. Uh, And so he, according to this MSNBC article we quoted earlier, he walks into the fray and (laughs) he is getting in fights. Uh, These people, by the way, to the point about Uh, hair pieces. They are literally snatching wigs. Uh, John Bowie Knife Potter and Cadwallader Washburn rip the wig. They snatch the wig off a Democrat from Mississippi named William Barksdale. And then Potter like holds it up and he goes, I've scalped him. Super classy. Super classy. This is like a world star moment. You know, if this were filmed... On a cell phone, you would hear the person filming it just yelling, world star. That's an internet reference that might date well, me.
3: and I think, you know, Barksdale was kind of getting clowned already because he was wearing a wig, or it was like a, more of a toupee. This was not a ceremonial uh, peruke or, or, you know, uh, hairpiece. It was definitely a cosmetic thing to hide uh, a, you know, lack of actual hair. But apparently when he put it back on, he put it on backwards, getting kind of caught up in the melee of it all.
4: What's even worse is no one knew he was wearing a wig until that's then. what I
3: mean. Yeah, they were cr- they were totally like you know mocking him. Uh, it was it, it, this is actually a moment that's often played for laughs in, in a in kind of physical comedy, you know, where a character, you know, will
1: get the their sitcom moment where off, the humor yeah. kind of quells the tension. That's what right? happens, right? Yeah. It,
3: it becomes more of like, oh, like that. Let's look at this dummy,
1: and and you know, they have that pause. And the music stops. And they point at each other like, <laughs> and then the other guy who was about to kill him. Is like, I guess that is funny. And then everybody starts laughing. And then it goes to a freeze frame, roll credits, yeah. uh, <laughs> like a mid air jump. You know, <laughs> right? Like, High fives.
3: Oh, look at what are we doing, mm-hmm. guys?
1: Come let, on, we love each other. Let's you know, back to the business of running the country. <laughs> So, uh, we are going to call it a wrap. Thanks, of course, our recurring guest Alex Circa, uh, and and also uh, Circa, just you know nineteen ninety something. Yes, a fan of circumstance we are. Uh, we also want to point out that, of course, we're dunking on the United States here uh, with the help of our research associate, Mr. Max Williams. However, it is very important for us all to know this is not a glass house situation it is a glass planet there are tons and tons of parliamentary fisticuffs and fights and brawls uh, i want to give a shout out to south korea in 2020 when sure. yeah when more almost 40 people got got up in a tangle like a massive fight it happens more often than you think folks
3: Indeed. I mean, after all, you know, these, these people aren't somehow superior, supreme beings. They have just as many foibles and failings as the rest of us. In some cases, way more. So, you know, always important to remember not to put anybody up on a pedestal. Least of all our. Uh our humble um, politicians. Our are
1: humble not, public not very, servants. Not very humble at all. are very uh, humble, modest public servants. Also mm-hmm. good not to put canes to people's heads. Uh, as everybody's grade school teacher once said... Use your words. <laughs> so, uh, uh, thank you as always to a super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to our own cane over the head, Jonathan Strickland, AKA The Quizter. Uh, shout out to Alex Williams, composed this slap and pop.
3: Indeed. Thanks to Eve's Jeff Coates and Christopher Rasiotis here in spirit. Ben, thanks to you for not coming at me with a cane, even though I see it in your eyes sometimes that you really want
1: to. I don't look at you as often as you think, man. Whoa. Careful. (laughs) We'll
3: see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.